Want to have fun, Rob? Yeah. Thank you, everybody, everyone. Love hearing you worship. Love worshiping with you. So, well, if uh, if you're here today for the first time, or you've recently begun attending Brookside, and and you'd say that uh, Christianity is something you're still checking out, and you're seeking to understand what it's all about, and you're asking the questions we should all ask. I, I, I just want to thank you for being here this morning and doing that. And if, if you and I could have a conversation and you've never read any part of the Bible and you asked me, you said, you know, what should I read first? And I, I give you the answer that I've, I've given so many people for so many years now. I, I would say, first of all, read one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And then I'd say, read my favorite book. In the Bible, read the book of Romans. And so if we had this conversation, and thank you, Rob, very much. Okay. If we, if we had this conversation, you and I, and, and, uh, and, and you did it. You, you read one of the Gospels, and then you began reading the book of Romans. And by the time you, re- you, you read the first chapter and, 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 and the second chapter and, and, and most of the third, you might find yourself asking the question. You might even come back to me and say, well, what's so great about the book of Romans, Steve? You know, why did you tell me to read that? Here's why. Read the first chapter of Romans, read all of the second chapter, and then read the first 20 verses of the second chapter. Do this, and, and, and you'll hear Paul say that, that every person, every one of us is without exception. We're sinful, we're guilty, we're inexcusable, and we're speechless before God. That's what you'd get. I, lo- I love how Jeff uh, put it last Sunday. You read the first 17, eight, 17 verses of the first chapter of Romans, and then Paul does a, a, a hard turn in verse 18. And, and boy, that's exactly what he does. He takes a really hard turn, and he, and he stays with it all the way through verse 20 in the third chapter. He doesn't let up. Not one verse, all 63, every one of them is tough stuff all the way, all the way through. Tough stuff to hear. And he sums it all up with this brutal assessment of all of us in the, in the third chapter. And I'm just going to give you a little part of it. He says, in, in beginning of verse 10, he said, There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is, there's no one who does good, not even one. Not even one. And then he writes this. And he concludes with this statement in verse 19. He said, so that every mouth may, may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Point being, we're guilty. We know we're guilty. And we're not able to defend ourselves. It's like you're in a courtroom and God's the judge and, and, and Paul's the prosecutor. And, and you're the person on trial. And, and the evidence against you is absolutely overwhelming. The verdict is in. You're guilty. And you have nothing you can say to defend yourself. So you can read these chapters and you can ask and think, well, I don't need this, Steve. There's enough bad news in the world. I don't need any more bad news. I, I certainly don't need any bad news about myself. Or you might say, man, I can't argue with this. 
I, I know what's being said is true. It's true about me. I, I've done more than a few things that Paul describes in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and in chapter 3. But Steve, I, I got to tell you, I read this and it leaves me feeling hopeless that, that there's ever going to be any possibility that I could have a relationship with God. And, and so to be honest with you, Steve, you would, you would say to me if we were talking, you'd say, man, I don't think I can read anymore. Boy, I understand. Read these verses without reading the rest of Romans, and it'd be so easy to think that there is not the slightest possibility that you could ever have a relationship with God, not only during your lifetime on this earth, but for all, all of eternity. No question about it. Those 63 verses are bad news in capital letters. I think it doesn't get worse than this. It defines bad news for us. It's bad news. But here's the deal. If I recommended Romans to you to read, I'd be sure to tell you that the first three chapters are going to be tough reading all the way through. But then I'd say, I'd say, don't stop reading there. Don't stop reading at verse 21 in the third chapter. Go on, go on to verse 21 because it's here that God begins to give his solution to the problem of your sin, the problem of my sin. It's here where the good news begins. Which is where we're at today. God's solution. God's good news given to us in six Tightly packed verses, the verses we read this morning, the, the heart of the heart of Paul's message about what God has done to make it possible for every one of us to have a right relationship with him during our lifetime on this earth and to be able to spend eternity with God in heaven. What one, what one biblical scholar has suggested might be the, the most important paragraph that's ever been written in the history of humanity. So that's big stuff we're talking about today. You know, I was thinking, I'm so glad that Jeff had to give the bad news for two weeks, and now I get to get up here and give the good news, you know. Um, you got to time it right. You got to, okay? So <clears throat> Paul takes, Paul takes three, three chapters to give us the bad news, and then he gives us the good news. And, and, and I'm convinced that Paul did it this way to give, to give clarity to any lack of understanding or confusion that we might have about God, we might have about ourselves, and we might have about Jesus Christ. Okay? So important. Because clarity is life-changing for us. It makes all the difference. It's the key word here. It's why I gave that title to today's sermon. It's clarity that leads to faith in Jesus Christ. And the greater our clarity, the more we understand the truth about God and the truth about ourselves and the truth about Jesus Christ, what will happen is the stronger our faith will be and the deeper our commitment will be to Jesus Christ. And not only will this be true, not, not only will it be true that our faith will be stronger and our commitment will be deeper, it's also true that we'll experience greater joy and greater peace in our life. We'll, we'll be able to experience all of what God can do in us and through us. Okay? So it's pretty important what we're talking about this morning. The longer I'm a pastor the more I realize that there is so much in our experience with life 
that can get in the way of us understanding how good the good news really is. And it's so ironic that, that, that sometimes the, the thing that becomes the greatest stumbling block for us is, is our own experience with religion or church as, as we grow up. I mean, that just really bugs me every time I realize that happens. Just last Sunday before first service, back here as people were walking in, I had a conversation with someone who's been facing a, a life-threatening uh, illness. And he's a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. He, and, and I've been so impressed over the last many months now with his, his perseverance in a very difficult time, both he and his wife. And, and yet, like it's true for all of us, it can be, there, there's still some of his past experience with church and religion that still, that still messes with his thinking about God and God's grace. So that he said to me in our conversation back there, it was just a very, I just treasure that time we had. He, he said, you know, I'm, Steve, I'm not afraid of dying. I know that I'm going to go to heaven. I just wish that I didn't have to worry about God judging me for my sin. And I, in that moment, I realized, oh, this is going to be fun. You know, it's just this is going to be a fun thing to share. And, and it was so good to be able to tell him that this is something he didn't have to worry about. Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, Jesus Christ took all of his sin on himself and all of God's judgment for his sin. And I said to him, you know what? It's like God took an eraser and erased every sin you ever did. An eraser called grace. So that when God looks at you and God looks at me, and this is what we're going to talk about this morning, he doesn't see us in our sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So what I'd like to do here in these next few minutes is have a conversation with you like I had with my friend last Sunday before first service. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've already trusted in him as your, your Savior, I'd love to add even greater clarity to your understanding of how good the good news really is. So that, you know what, you can't keep it to yourself. You, you know that you've got such good news, you just want to tell everybody about it, you know. And, and, and you just relish it, and you celebrate it, you live in it. Every single day. And then, if, you're, on, if you're, on, you're still on that spiritual journey, I would love to have you see how good the good news can be for you. And, we're gonna, and, and this is how we're going to do this. We're going to see what these six verses we read this morning tell us about God and tell us about ourselves and tell us about Jesus Christ. So let's begin with God. I don't know if you remember, if you were here uh, uh, a few weeks ago, Kyle and I did a couple sermons on, on sharing our faith in Jesus Christ, and we talked about God, first of all, we used to the same thing, and we talked about three things that are so important to know about God, and, and, and one is that God is holy, and the other one is that God is just, and the third one is that God is loving. Remember that? Kyle drew that stool and three legs and God's holy and just and, and loving. They're, and Paul unpacks this. 
And he, he, all three of these, he, he, he begins with the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, that he emphasizes in a phrase that he repeats. And he, he first of all gives it to us in chapter 1, and, and, and then he repeats it again in, in the six verses that we all read together this morning. And so he began in chapter 1 in verse 16, which is why we titled the series 116. He, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And then he went on and made this statement where he used that, that phrase. He said, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. And he repeats that, that part, again in, in, in chapter 3. And so he, in verse 21 he said, but now, it's like he picks it up again. He, he mentions it in verse 17 in chapter 1. Then for 63 verses, he gives us the bad news. And then he picks up the good news again. And he said, but now, but now, a righteousness from God is, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. All of the Old Testament pointers tell us about this. And then he said in verse 22, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now, righteousness is another way of saying that God is holy. Let's make sure we understand what this means, that God's holy or God's righteous. We, we don't want to miss this, right? It, it, it means that everything about God, to the very core of who God is, is absolutely perfect. And everything that God does is perfect. Let, uh, let's say that you and I, we could make an exhaustive list of everything that a person can do that's right and everything that a person can do that's wrong. We could, we could write all the, all the good stuff on one side, on one list, and, and all, the, all the evil, all the sin on, on, on the other side, all the bad stuff, all the stuff that's wrong. And we go through this list, and what's true of God is that God has always done everything that is right, and God has never done anything that is wrong. And not only is this true, it's also true that at the very center of God's righteousness is his love. His love. Everything that God has done, God's done with love. And the same is true for what God hasn't done. It all comes out of love. In other words, God has a, and this is, you might want to write this down, God has a perfect record a perfect record never done wrong god's always done right and he's always done it for the right reason it's out of love i was thinking about this the other day when i heard that uh, scientists astronomers i don't know if you heard this or not have discovered 715 more planets in our galaxy adding to the 1,000 that have already been discovered. And so the, these are planets the size of Earth or, or larger. And i got to tell you, you know, you know this if you've been around for uh, long enough. I love every discovery that's made of our universe because it gives us a better understanding of how amazing God really is. Well, God's amazing. But i got to tell you, as much as it makes me worship God because of his brilliance and his power. And, and it, it, i got to tell you, it's God's perfect holiness that really inspires me to worship him. 
I mean, have you thought about, aren't you just so grateful that our God is perfect? I can't imagine living in a universe. How different it would be if our God wasn't perfectly holy. But you know, it's one thing for God to be holy. It's one thing for God to be that way. I'm, I, I'm so thankful for that, but, but, but what about each one of us? I mean, we're... And, wrote this down when we did this two weeks ago. We're, we're still sinners. We're still sinners. <laughs> There's still this, this, this infinite gap between us and God. I mean, we could just take this and just spread it apart. I mean, there's, there's this huge gap between us and God. And, and Paul, Paul already has made this clear. And when 63 verses, he gave us the bad news. And, and then he, it's like, like maybe he's thinking to himself, I don't know if they got it. So then he he sums it up again, and he, he said this in the verses we read this morning. He said, listen, everybody, there's no difference, no exceptions, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I have fun ways I've illustrated this through the years, dumb ways. I, you've heard me do this thing if you've been around for a while, the jumping contest to the moon. We, we're going to go out and, you know, see if we can jump up and reach the moon and how utterly impossible that is. In the same way, we can't possibly be good enough to reach God. And, and then there's thing of, the thing of climbing a ladder to God. How about this one? How about three of us have a, 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 a contest to swim across the Atlantic Ocean from New York City to London, England. Do I have any volunteers? Like two people do that with me? Let, let me just ask you to identify the right volunteers. Is, is there anybody here who would say, I cannot swim a stroke? I cannot swim. Anybody who absolutely cannot swim? Great. Raise your hand. Great. Could you want to be in this contest with me? All right. All right. So you're going to do it, right? Uh, how about, is there anybody else out here who would say, uh, which I would say, like if you watch me swim some, you know, uh, uh, laps at the swimming pool, you'd laugh because of how I swim. I taught myself how to swim that. Anybody kind of like that? You say, I can swim, but not, yeah, great. You, you be in this one. And then, did anybody hear about the lady? La I think it was last year. She's, I think she's my, around my age. She swam from Florida to Cuba. Anybody? I think her name is, uh, I, I hope I'm saying it, Diana Nyad. Okay? I mean, she really did it. She swam 1,500 miles. So let's say it's the three of us, all right? And uh, you cannot swim at all, all right? You're, you're pretty good, but not that good, right? There you are. And, 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 and like me, okay? And, they, and, then, and, and then along with Diana, they take us out where we're over our heads in water, okay? And you drown right away. I mean, you're gone. You're dead immediately. You're under the water. And you do pretty good, man. You're, you're like, you would be like me, maybe, you know, swim, uh, I don't know, two laps of a pool or whatever, and then you're down. You're under. You're dead. You're done. Okay, and then there's Diana. She, she swam 1,500 miles already, which like that, really? And, and I hope I read that right when I checked that out this morning so I'm, somebody's not like laughing at me right now. But, but 15, let's say she swam 1,500 miles and then she's gone, you know, like, Ten more miles and she's down and she's done. She's drowned. She's dead. Okay? Let me ask you. Is any one of the three of us more drowned than the other? We're all the same drowned, right? We're dead. We're done. None of us made it. None of us got to the other side, to, to, to London. 
Same shoe for every person in their effort to reach God's record of perfect holiness. You see, no matter how far we might get toward that, none of us ends up coming even close. God's got a perfect record. We've got a, a record that's very imperfect, and so we got a problem. <laughs> we got a problem. And here's what makes me so excited about this passage. Here's where Paul's statement about God's righteousness, righteousness becomes personal for each one of us. You see, not only is Paul writing about God's righteousness being revealed for us so that you and I can see it, he also shows us how God's righteousness can be given to us. And this is what he said, verse 22. I love this. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Comes. It doesn't just stay with God. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all, to all who believe. You see what? You see what? Here, everybody, this one sentence clarifies what's distinct, distinct from biblical Christianity and every other religion in the world. Let me illustrate it this way, okay? If you want a job, you prepare a resume. And you do this because a resume is your vocational record. It, it includes your education, your accomplishments, your experiences. It's, it's your validating performance record. It shows why you're worthy of the position, the job that you're seeking. And so you put it together and you take it to the people doing the hiring. And if they decide it's good enough, you're hired. You get the job. Or let's say you, you want to get an advanced degree. You, you graduated from college, but you want to get a master's and you want to go on and get a doctorate. And, and so you want to get into a degree program, the right one. And, and, and in this case, you bring out your academic record. You, you bring out your grades. And, and, and these now function as your validating performance record. And if they're good enough, you're accepted into the program. See, that's how it is with every religion in the world, with one exception. And that's Christianity. Every other religion tells you, if you're going to have a relationship with God during your lifetime on earth, and if you're going to be able to spend eternity with God in heaven, you've, you've got to have a performance record. You, it, it's, it, it's, not a, it, it's not a vocational record or an academic record. It's a moral record. You've got to have a moral record. And they say, this is how you go to heaven. You get out your performance record, your moral record, and God looks at it, and if it's good enough, then you're accepted into heaven. See, every religion in the world demands that you prepare a moral record, and you give it to God, and you hope it's going to be good enough. You hope, you hope, you hope. And Christianity alone says that God provides a perfect, righteous record through Jesus Christ, and God offers it to each one of us as a gift. And it's all through Jesus Christ. See, Christianity shows us that, that we're, not, we're not saved. We're, we don't have God's forgiveness and eternal life by how well we perform, but it's by God's grace through Jesus Christ. 
See, it's the complete opposite of what every other religion believes and teaches. It's the difference between these two words that, that, that Kyle and I put in front of you a, a few weeks ago. And the difference between do. Re, do is religion. It's, it's the good works that we do. It's our performance record. Christianity, on the other hand, biblical Christianity, is what Jesus Christ has already done for us. It's his performance record. Now, how God does for this for us is explained in, in, the, next, uh, in the next four verses. And, and let me uh, hold it. What they do is they show us, and this is, this is pretty cool, okay? I mean, really cool. They show us how, I, how it's possible for a righteous God to declare the unrighteous righteous without compromising his righteousness or condoning our unrighteousness. Or to say it this way, and this, I mean, they, they answer the question, these four verses, very important question. You might write it down. How can a just God justify justifying you and me? You get that? How can a just God justify justifying you and me who are sinners? How can God do this? Well, Paul's got the answer. This is what he, this is what he said, okay? He said there's no difference. <laughs> For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. There, there, there's some powerful words here. Just big, 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 big words. The first one is justified. To be justified means to be made righteous. Hey, remember where, where, uh, uh, here we, when we talked about us all being sinners? To be justified means, remember that eraser I talked about at the beginning of the sermon? It means that God erases. I mean, if I could just totally, God totally erases our sin. And God makes us righteous. I mean, he makes us righteous. We're righteous. Uh, God takes all of the righteousness of Jesus Christ and gives it to us. He puts it on us. We're, we're covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Powerful word, justified. And then he, the second word is freely, okay? Freely. Uh, we're justified freely, Paul said. Uh, Beck and I got a, a thing in the mail. Huh, we're just so privileged. Came from a cruise company, cruise lines. Guess what? We won two free airline tickets and two cruises. So back, I mean, when I opened that up, I said, back, look, we're going to go on a cruise. We've always wanted to do this. No, not so much. Because what happens when you get one of those little things and you make that phone call? It's not so free, is it? There's always a catch. When God says it's free, it's free. There is no catch with God. We're never going to come around a corner and God's going to say, oh, yeah, but you've got to do this and this and this and this. No, there is absolutely no catch. Don't you love that word, freely? And, and then the next word is grace. 
Wonderful word. Grace means that it's totally on God. It's not on us at all. It's God giving us what we do not deserve. I've heard this one forever, for years. It's like the best way to, one great way to understand the word grace is to take each letter this way. God's riches at Christ's, Christ's expense. That's so true. You know, I wish I would have, uh, here, here's the thing about this, okay? When we're talking about God's riches, us having God's riches, it's not just us having eternal life. It's not just us having forgiveness. Let me, let me read you a verse that I, I wish I would have thought of. I, I thought of it this morning. Um, and uh, we could have gotten up in PowerPoint, but it's from the 8th chapter of Romans, which, by the way, is a great chapter to read. This is the statement, verse 25. He who did not spare his own son, God, God the Father, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Wow. I mean, think of who's doing the giving. God, the creator of all those planets. He's giving us all things. He's, he's not only giving us forgiveness and eternal life, but he's giving us his joy and his peace and his fulfillment and his wisdom and his strength. He's giving us absolutely everything we need for life on this earth, and he's doing it all at the expense of Jesus Christ. Which brings us to the next word, the word redemption. He, Paul said, by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That, that redemption is, is a word that takes us back into the, to the Old Testament, to the nation of Israel. It means to buy back or to liberate through a purchase. In the Old Testament, you see, there were no bankruptcy laws. There, were, there was no such thing as declaring bankruptcy. If you, if you owed your creditor more than you could pay him, you lost your freedom. You became his slave. And you had to work for that person until you paid off your debt. And, and, and there were times when the debt was so great that a person spent the rest of their life paying for that debt and they never had their freedom again. And because this happened, because this happened, I, God provided a way for a person's freedom to be restored. And it could happen through what was called a kinsman redeemer. That's a, an Old Testament phrase. A kinsman is another word for being a relative. And so there were three things that, that had to be true of this person for them to do it. They, they had to be a relative. They had to be a kinsman. They, they, they could only do it out of love. They couldn't be forced to do it. They, they would want to do it. And to do it, they, they had to buy back the other person's freedom by bearing the cost of the debt themselves. They had to pay the debt which is exactly what Jesus Christ did for us, okay? He became our kinsman, our brother, by becoming one with us in our humanity, and he became our redeemer by giving his life, his life, as a payment for our sin, to pay the debt of our sin. Now, there's a wonderful verse in the second chapter of Hebrews in the New Testament it talks about this, and it, this is how it goes. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, that's you and me, we've got flesh and blood, we're human, he too, Jesus, 
shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And then look at this. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. That's redemption. Redemption. And so he got justified and freely in grace and redemption. And then we have this phrase, sacrifice of atonement. And that really comes from one Greek word. That means to turn away wrath. And, and, and what that means, what that means, everybody, is, you know, God being just, that, that means that there would have to be the wrath of God for our sin. And what it means is, is that God, uh, instead of pouring his wrath on us, putting all of his wrath on us that we deserve, he pours all his wrath on his son, Jesus Christ, who doesn't deserve it. And that's what happened when Jesus Christ, died on that cross, that's what was happening when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See? And what it means is God doesn't stop being just. God doesn't set his justice aside. It means that God turns all of his justice on God, on his son, Jesus Christ. See, the cross is not a compromise between God's wrath, God's justice, and God's love. It, it, it doesn't satisfy each halfway. It satisfies each fully and in the same action. Absolutely incredible. I mean, don't miss this. Tim Keller said it so well. And a little commentary that just came out this year. In fact, I'd encourage you to get it. It's, on the, it's just a, a small little book written on the first seven chapters of Romans. A great read. This is what he said. I love this. He said, the wonder of the cross is that in the very same stroke, it satisfies both the love of God and the justice of God. At the very same moment, it, it shows us that God is both the judge who cares enough about his world to set standards and hold us accountable to them, and the justifier who has done everything necessary to forgive and restore us. And so Paul writes, in verse 25, he said, God did this, God did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about all the people who lived before the birth of Jesus Christ. He's talking about people like Moses and Sarah and Abraham and Ruth and Esther and you know all those people in the Old Testament who repented of their sin and had faith in God. And it's like God deferred payment for their sin. He accepted them on the basis of the future work of Christ so that every lamb that was sacrificed in the Old Testament pointed to the Lamb of God who would be sacrificed on a cross for our sin. See, God has always, always been the just judge who justifies those who believe in his grace. And so Paul sums it all up. Last the sixth verse in, in all of this, he said, God did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. You see why the good news is so absolutely good? I mean, 
If there's anything we want to clarify, it's this. Because it's clarity that leads to faith in Jesus Christ. And the greater our clarity, the more we understand the truth about God and ourselves and the truth about Jesus Christ, the greater our faith will be and the deeper our commitment will be to the one who's our Savior. And you know what? Not only is this true, but we'll also experience greater joy and greater peace and all of what God can do in us and through us. You know, I lose track of time. I don't know if it's been three years now or four years that our eye doctor, back in my eye doctor, I was in his office one day and and um, God just opened up the door to have an opportunity to have conversation with him and share what I've shared, you know, what I've talked with all of us about this morning and uh, asked him if he wanted to talk about it more and he said, yeah, I do. And, and so we arranged to have lunch at Panera uh, out there on 180th Street. I could still see it. And we sat and talked for almost two hours and at the end of that time, he said, man, I want it, Steve. I want God's forgiveness, and I want eternal life. And that day, he trusted in Jesus Christ. And i got to tell you this. It just happened to me this last week. Every time I come into his office, he says this to me. And I, I stopped by there this week, and, and he said, let's go outside. And we stepped outside, and he said, he said what he has said over and over again. And every time I hear it, I just go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. He said, Steve, I'm a different man than I was from that day you came into my office. So thankful. I'm, I'm a different man. I, I have so much peace. I have so much joy. I'm a different person. Isn't that wonderful? You know, it might be that this is the very first time you have ever heard anything like this, and you might be sitting out here this morning and you might be thinking right now, my goodness, I want this. It's free. God loves me. God's son died for me. Man, I am a sinner, but I want to be righteous. I want to be right with God. I want this. You know what? I've got some really good news for you. Really good news. You can have it before you walk out of this door this morning. You can have it before you walk out of this door. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close our, our service in prayer. And, and what you can do, I'm just going to pray, just phrase by phrase, a prayer you can pray. And you're not talking to me, you're talking to God. And you pray this prayer, and you know what? It's yours. It's yours. Let's stand together, okay? So this is your prayer, okay? You can pray this right now. Oh God, I know you're holy. God, and God, I, I know what you have always known. I know I'm a sinner. And so God, right now at this moment, I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask for your gift. Your gift of forgiveness, your grace, the promise, the promise of eternal life, I ask for that, God. I ask for Jesus Christ to be my Savior. Amen. That's oh, great. I hope you prayed that prayer. All right. Are we going to? We are. All right.